How do you guys like my new swag? I'm going to have to give me some St. Thomas stuff as well because I, I got a mug in my office, but I got to get some football swag, I think. So, so you know, I, I didn't see you guys this afternoon for a little bit because I had to go watch the Cyclones because uh, Brock Purdy, who is a Brother Salt Company connection group leader, had a big game today. He is the starting quarterback for Iowa State, and he defeated the number eight team in the nation that was 7-0, and oh, the Oklahoma Cowboys, and we put them down. So another win for Salt Company, right? <clears throat> so I don't know. I, I think one of the great things about planting Salt Companies, and now we have 22 Salt Companies in 14 different states, and we have some really big dogs, so we win every weekend. So even if we lose, we win. You just got to find the right one and say, we won again! We won again! So, <clears throat> Yeah. Hey, tonight, guys, we're going to talk about something that, once again, is going to be heavy. And so I just want to ask you guys to humble your hearts before God, and before He tells you what to do, I think it's a good idea to go ahead and say yes, right? Because God often will call us to do things that are extremely difficult for us to do, and tonight I'm going to be calling you guys to stop being children and to start being men and women. There's nothing more offensive to me than when people my age refer to college students as kids. In fact, you're in the liminal stages of your life, and the decision you're making today either will be things that you will cherish for the rest of your life or things that you will regret for the rest of your life. And you know why? Because you will give an account of you, and you've been giving an account of you far beyond today because you're no longer children. You're emerging men and women of God. And the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, his true son in the faith, he said, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Only in every way set an example to the believers in life and love and purity and faith. And he called that young Timothy to be a man of God and he challenged him as all the other young men and women in the scriptures to choose Christ early and to give the rest of their life for him. So we've been talking about some very familiar passages. We've been talking about John 3.16. We talked about the Lord's Prayer, and I kind of tricked you a little bit because you were able to do that so well. And we were able to emphasize what I believe was the emphasis of that prayer, that we would be forgivers. We'd be lovers like God loves and receives that love, and we'd be forgivers like God forgives, and that we would give that forgiveness to others. So tonight we're going to be talking about the Ten Commandments. I had a group of 400 college students <clears throat> at a retreat I was doing in Florida, and I had them break into threes, and I said, okay, just without using your phone or your Bibles or anything, just write down the Ten Commandments and try to do it in order. 400 college students only got nine of the Ten Commandments. The one they missed is the one we're going to talk about tonight. It is the overlooked command. See, there are four commands, and I taught my kids to do it like this. Hold your fingers up. I'm not telling you to do it, but I would tell my kids, hold, my hold your fingers up like that. And there are four commands that talk about our relationship with God. You should have no other gods before me. You should not make any idols. You should not take the name of the Lord's. You should not take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. 
Four commands that are directly related to our relationship with God. And then there are five commands that relate to all other people. And they're kind of in descending order. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet. All of those commands deal with our relationship with others. Four in our relationship with God and five in our relationship with all others. And then there's this one command, and I kind of call it the bridge command. How many of you know which one that is? Yes. Honor your father and your mother. Now let's pause just a little bit and think about that. Now we know it would be crazy bad if we couldn't honor God with the commands that he gives to us. And if we understand God's commands, it would be really good if we could learn to Honor people. And Jesus said, all of the law is rooted in these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And the way that we display that we truly love God is we love other people. John said, how can you say to me that you love God and you don't love people? I'm telling you, if you don't love the people that you see, don't you tell me that you love a God that you can't see. Because the evidence of loving God is loving people who were created in his image. And so it only makes sense. Jesus said, you've heard it's been said, don't murder. And everybody said, I never killed anybody. And he said, have you been angry? And it only makes sense when Jesus says, you should not commit adultery. And none of us would say, we don't want to destroy our relationship and our marriage through adultery. And Jesus said, do you lust? But think about this odd one. I like to say this command has a name. Two people. This command says to me, honor Thomas Floyd Nesbitt and Marie Pierce Nesbitt. Does that seem odd to you? I call it the bridge command because it's about authority. And I want to tell you this right now. If you have a broken relationship with your parents, you will begin to have a broken relationship with other, every other relationship in your life. If you don't learn to love and respect the authority that God has put in your life, you will never love and respect any authority in your life. And one of the greatest principles in all of the Bible is not me being autonomous and authority to myself, but it's me submitting to God and submitting to the authority that God places in my life. It's about dying to me and submitting to God. And it's about surrendering all of who I am to all of who God is. And saying yes to him, even when I don't understand it. Let me ask you this question. Who picked your parents? Did you have anything to do with that? You did not. So do you understand... That actually, if that gets broken, ultimately, that's going to be on God. And if you struggle in relationship to your parents, and who among us doesn't, then it ultimately will give you a struggle in your relationship with God. 
I want to ask you a question. Can you trust God with your life? Can you trust him with anything in your life? Can you trust him with your future? Can you trust him to bring you into the paths of righteousness for his name's sake? I'm going to tell you this. You're going to struggle to trust God or to trust anybody else if you have a broken relationship with your parents because that is a relationship that God has entrusted to you. If I stopped right there, we'd have a hard thing to deal with, wouldn't we? Let's talk about your parents a little bit more. Exodus 20, verse 12 says, Honor your father and mother so that you may have a long life in the land and it might go well with you. And all of the Proverbs talk about honoring your mother and your father. And a dishonoring child is a dishonorer to God. And we know Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord because it's right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with the promise, so it may go well with you and you may have a long life in this land. You know, when my parents were raising me, they wanted me to obey God. And so they taught me this verse. You know, children, obey your parents. I hated it, right? Always would make me feel guilty when I was disobedient. And they would say, you want to have a long life, right? Children, obey your parents. And so whenever I saw this command, I thought, oh, it's for children. And then I thought, oh, thank God I'm not a child anymore. It's really important to honor your parents when you're a child. But what about when you're not a child anymore? Listen to these verses. Romans chapter 1, Paul writing about the end times. He says, because these people did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind, literally a perverted mind that had no right thoughts. So they didn't do what was right. They were filled filled with all unrighteousness and evil and greed and wickedness. They were full of envy and murder and quarrels and deceit and malice. They were gossips and slanderers. They hate God. They're arrogant. They're proud. They're boastful. They're inventors of evil. They're senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Oh, and I left out one right in the stinking middle. Does this sound like a command for a bunch of kids to you? Look what Paul throws right in the middle of all this. Disobedient. To parents. He says, although they knew God and those who practice such things deserved as I, they not only do these things, but they applaud others who practice these things. <laughs> What's popular in culture today? To help your friends honor their parents or to help your friends be disruptive, disobedient, and dishonoring to them? Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy. In the last days, he said, hard times will come. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. Oh, and guess what I left out again? Right in the middle. Disobedient to parents. Some of you have been asking me about what I do and... It's been a great privilege of my life to have had the opportunity to 
be the first director of Salt Company. They call me in Ames the prehistoric staff member of Salt. Right? <laughs> but what I do now is I actually recruit church planters, men who and women who want to lead God's church. And I have a five-star recruit because I love sports. You know, some of you guys may be five-star recruits. And, and the first is character. Because if you don't start with character, you don't start with the Bible, right? So you want to have men and women of character, men and women of God. Secondly, we talk about gifts. We want to have people that are actually good at what they do because we don't want the church to suck. And if you get leaders that suck, the church will suck, right? So we want people that are actually gifted leaders. A lot of us want to play football. A lot of us want to play basketball. A lot of us want to play D1 sports or even in the pros. But the fact is, we're just not gifted, <clears throat> right? People all the time say they want to be engineers. And I say, are you good at math? He said, no, man, I suck at math. I said, you need to do something else, right? (laughs) But the third thing we look at is their family. Family of origin and family of choice. Because one of the things that I have discovered is if a Christian doesn't understand how to heal the relationship with their family of origin, they won't know how to lead in relationships to others to help them relate to God and other authority in their life. And it doesn't matter. Maybe you've had the best parents in the world and maybe you've had the worst parents in the world. The fact is God gave you your parents and your first lesson in learning to relate to people is learning the lessons that God wants to teach you in relationship to those people who he gave you that you call mom and dad. And I want to tell you this. Some of my best pastors and some of the best leading women are some of the people who come from the greatest families on earth a mom and dad who love Jesus, and a mom and dad who love each other, and a family that is rare in this culture today. That's just true. But you know where I get the other best ones? From some of the worst, most horrific circumstances that you can possibly imagine. In fact, one of our very best pastors when he was 16 years old, his dad kicked him out of the house into the front yard and he heard a gunshot because his dad blew his head off. Think that's good groundwork for a pastor? One of our pastor's wives, mom, locked her out of the house, hid all of her stuff in the basement, and then called the cops on her and said that she stole everything. Think that's good foundations for a good pastor's wife? You think that's not hard? You think that's not broken? But you want to know the beauty of the gospel is even when your mother and father forsake you, the Lord will pick you up. And often the most difficult things that God encounters with our lives is the very fabric and fruit that he wants to use to increase the harvest of ministry to others. At what point in your life, I want to ask you this question, are you going to take responsibility for yourself? I'm going to get a drink. That's what I'm coming way over here for. I was yelling at Brock too much, so I lost a little bit of my voice at B-dubs. <laughs> he ran the ball on fourth down. He should have given it a breeze. Are you kidding me? 
Brock's a little bit bigger than me. Brees is a monster. He could have got the first down. We almost lost. <clears throat> okay, back to this. You needed a little break. I did too. <clears throat> so, so it, when, when my kids were growing up, we had this, uh, you guys are going to enjoy this, you're becoming a man or a woman date. And when my kids turned two, we would start going out on dates. I would take them on dates and and, you know, I had a lot of kids, so my first daughter, when she turned two, she got to date every week until her sister turned two, and then it was every other week. And then by the last child that was still in the house, Morgan, my fifth child that we were dating, they would say, Dad, why do you only date us like once a month and you take Mom out every week? Because I always take my wife out on Tuesday nights. It's a good habit. And I said, because I love your mother more than you. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just really true, right? Because they're going to all get married and they're going to leave me. And guys, let me tell you something. If you're married, it's good for you to love your spouse more than your kids. In fact, it's biblical. And it doesn't make my children feel bad that I love their mother more than them. Actually, it makes them feel great and safe. Because they know I am first and foremost committed to her, and I'm first and foremost committed to her because primarily I am committed to Christ. And she is first and foremost committed to me because she is first and foremost committed to Christ. When they turned 13, I would take them on, you're becoming a woman date. But you know how it is, girls, you start becoming a woman before you're 13. I knew that. They knew that. But you know, the most awkward conversation maybe a girl could ever have with her dad is, oh, I hear you had your period today, <laughs> right? You know, but I'm just that guy that likes to have awkward conversations, so it's no problem for me, you know, so I'm taking these girls, we're going to go away for a big retreat, I'm going to get them in the car, we're going to drive for hours, and the whole time we're going to be talking about the talk, right? We're going to do something fun to relieve them a little bit, but all of it is fun for me. All right? So I would say to my daughter, Rachel, she was the first one. I said, so, started your period? It was awkward for her. And I'm just letting it pause, sit in the car, right? I said, wow, you know what that means? Well, of course she did. She, she knew. She had been talking to her mother. She's in a healthy home. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, what's happening to me? No, she knew, but she didn't want to talk to her dad about it, even though we had a great relationship. And I said, I tell you what it means. I said, Rachel, what it means is if you go home and you get a boyfriend and you decide to have sex with that boy, you could become a mom. I said, that's it. You know, even saying sex to her, it was like, oh, oh, gross. And then I said, Rachel, do you want to become a mom this year? I mostly just talked. She's just making faces, right? <laughs> and I said to her, did God make a mistake? Why would he make your body such that you could be a mom 
at 11 or 12 or 13, and you know you're not ready to be a mom for a really long time. God must have blew that. And then I said to her, honey, I'm going to tell you, he didn't make a mistake, but here's what he said. He wants to let you know, you're no longer a little girl. And he wants to let me know, you're no longer a little girl. And as a child, we obey our parents when they speak and we do. And you can honor God by being an obedient child when your parent speaks to you and they say do something, you do it. That's obedience. But when you become a man or you become a woman, you no longer want to submit to them. You, want to, you don't longer want to obey them. You want to begin to submit to them because you're learning to submit to Christ. And I said, Rachel, I'm not going to tell you what to do anymore. But I'm going to make sure you make good choices. So always before I would tell you what to do and I would tell you how to do it and you would do that and you would be a good little girl. But from now on, we're going to talk about the decisions that you make and I'm going to help you learn how to make mature decisions because it's only a matter of time until you will no longer have me and you will be making all the decisions on your own because you will be a full-grown adult woman. And I said all that to ask you the question. At what point... You actually decide it's all on you if you're going to follow Jesus. You love it when your parents say, do what I say and not what I do? Does that make you just respect them so much? You love it when they treat you like a child or call you like a child? Fourteen-year-old boy and he wants who grew up in a horrible, horrible home. His dad was an abusive alcoholic, struggled with mental illness. They were super poor, slept three to a bed. He had a horrible nightmare all the time that a guillotine was going to fall and chop his head off. And right before the guillotine would chop his head off, he would wake up. And he had wet the bed again. He slept three to a bed, two heads one way, one head another way. And there was a 16-year-old girl who he worked with on a golf course who invited him to a retreat. And at 14 year olds, and at 14, he heard the gospel for the very first time in his life. And the first time he heard the gospel, he responded to the gospel and he gave his life to Jesus. And after he gave his life to Jesus, he went home and he picked up a Bible and he couldn't even read. He said, he learned how to read, reading the Bible, and his father hated God, and he liked to golf, so he would beat him sometimes with his own golf clubs. He would actually scrap the Bible out of his hand and throw it on the ground and say, boy, you want to be a lover of Jesus? He'd say, yes, dad. One day he came home when he was in middle school, and his dad had another woman in his mother's bed, having sex with her, and he did not care. At 16, this boy became a pastor. At 18, graduated high school. 22, graduated Bible school. 24, 
graduated seminary. And at 27, gave birth to me. And his dad was an awful alcoholic, an abusive, violent man. And because of the brokenness in his life, the first time he heard the gospel, the first time he heard about love, he responded to it. And as he responded to the gospel and as he began to read his Bible, it began to infuse life in him. And he became a pastor at 16. He got married when he was 20. He married my mom, had my older sister, had my older brother, went to seminary. My grandfather was a Roman Catholic, so he became a Southern Baptist. Right? My grandfather was an alcoholic, and he would say, you could put all the alcohol he ever drank in half a can of beer. My grandfather was a profuse, profane swearer. And my dad wouldn't even say jackass. But you know what people said about my dad as a pastor? You are an angry man. He said when he was a young pastor, he should have just put a sign on his door that said, beware of dog. Because you see, he wasn't trying to be like Jesus. He was trying to not be like his dad. Because he had a bitter root growing up in his soul. That even though he knew Jesus and loved Jesus and was pursuing Jesus, people would say about him all the time, you're just like your father. And it would enrage him and he'd say, no, I'm not. My dad's an abusive alcoholic who's been unfaithful to his wife multiple times. He beats all of us. I've never beaten any of my children. I read my Bible every day. I pray. I lead people to Christ. I lead the church for crying out loud. I learned to read reading my Bible. What are you saying? Yet he came to another retreat, and guess what he heard? He heard about the power of forgiveness. In his early 30s, He decided to forgive his dad. And I was just a kid. I didn't know what happened to my dad. I thought, you know, are we losing everything? Because he was just crying for days and days and days. And he lived through every violent memory with his father. And every time he said, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. And he allowed Jesus to break the chains of unforgiveness in his own soul. And he got up from that place, a changed man. And you know what it was like? It was like he became a Christian. Guys, my dad is 84 years old. I want to show you a little video of my dad. I don't know if you can get volume on that, but... That's just what he does. You see very many 84-year-olds getting in the front row? 
He don't know sign language. He just signs out every song, right? And he's a great cheerleader. I remember one time at a football game in. You guys, I, I wanted to play for the Dallas Cowboys because I guess I never looked in the mirror. Right? <laughs> I remember one time at a football game, my dad was yelling so much encouragement at me that my mom has actually said to my dad, Tom, 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 you have to be quiet. He ain't even on the field. You know, there's been a study of Division I athletes in this country, and you know where their number one worst memory of all of the sporting times that they ever had growing up? Number one worst, worst memory is in the 90-plus percentile, riding home from the game with their dad. You want to know their best memory? When their grandparents came to watch them play. My dad was the greatest dad a man could ever single have. Even today, he sent me a picture that he was at the Iowa State football game, and he knew I would want to be there, and he wanted to make me feel a little jealous. And every time I preach, he'll write me a note and say, you're awesome. And most of you guys don't have that. I've never known a day that I wasn't loved and cared for. I never was beaten. I never was swore at. I never felt unloved. I never doubted that my dad was faithful to my mother, and I never doubted that my mom was faithful to my dad, and I never doubted that the one thing they wanted in my life was for me to know, love, and follow, and pursue Jesus all the days of his life. But my dad is one of 11, and all of, almost all of his brothers were abusive alcoholics. But because of the gospel in my dad's life, the trajectory changed, and almost all of my cousins know, love, and follow Jesus, about 90% of them. And when my grandfather was 74 years old, he got on his knees with my dad, and he asked Jesus to come into his life. And my dad has been a minister of the gospel to so many, not because of his greatness, but because of his great brokenness and because of the great forgiveness of God that he was able to give to his father. That one of the most powerful things that he ever did is when he went home to his dad after he had forgiven him. And he said, Dad, will you forgive me? For being a disrespectful, a disrespectful, disobedient, bad example of a Christ follower. And he didn't do it because his dad deserved it. He did it because Jesus asked him to do it. And as he began to honor his father, guess what? People begin to honor him. And as he began to submit to the authority that God put in his life, guess what? God began to honor him. See, Peter says, honor authority in your life. And 2 Peter says God's judgment will be on anyone who doesn't honor authority. And guys, if we can't honor our parents, we can't honor any other authority. We talked about forgiveness today, didn't we? How many of you think that's hard? That's hard. It is hard. I hope all of you were able to forgive your parents. Not because they deserve it. Because you're an adult now. 
Your parents are just people. You need to learn to forgive them. Guys, some of you have been hurt so deeply by your parents, and if I could, I would pour out my love on you. My daughters have never not heard me say, I love you. And Maybe some of you have never heard your dad or mom say, some of you men have never heard your dad say, I love you. I talked to my brother or my son just yesterday because I'm missing an event with him to be with you guys because I'd rather be here than there, but I'd really, 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 really like to be there as well. And he said, I love you, dad. I said, I love you, son. I wish I could be with you. When my son was 11 years old, I was asking him, I said, hey, hey, Ty, who's your best friend? He literally got silent and began to get emotional. And he looked over at me like I had punched him in the chest. And he said, Dad, what do you mean? Best friend. Guys, that didn't begin with me. My wife, in relationship to her, I've been married to her 36 years. And she still says to me, how did you know how to do that? And I say, what do you mean? It's what my dad does. Because we tend to practice what we experience, whether we experience good or bad. And if you don't have a good model, you don't know someone to follow. But I'm telling you, my grandfather was a godless man. And somebody at 14 and then at 16 and then at 18 and then in the mid-20s and then at 30 decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. And so I have a path that's easier to walk than your path. Because I would have to fall off a bridge to not honor God with my life because the foundation is so solid. Because when my dad gets in a fight with my mom, you know what he often will do? He will ask her forgiveness and then he will get on his knees and he will wash her feet. And when my dad sinned against me, you know what he did every time? He would come to me and he would say, son, I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? How many of you guys have had your father ask you to forgive you? Or watched your dad wash your mom's feet? How many of you walked in on your parents when they're on their knees before God, crying out to God for you? I am 58 years old, and there has never been a day in my life that the Lord Jesus Christ has not heard my name spoken in prayer from my father. 